History Notes. Welcome to History Notes, a product of the Education Department of the Greensboro History Museum. History Notes reports on the people, places, monuments, and events that have shaped our society. Sometimes we examine what has occurred long ago, and at times we look at history happening now. Grab a pad, a pen, or a digital device and get engaged with History Notes. Welcome, everyone. I'm Rodney Dawson, Curator of Education here at the Greensboro History Museum, and today I'm having the pleasure to talk about something I grew up watching. The history of the Aggie Eagle Classic is more than just a game. And uh, first off, I'd like to talk about a lot of folks that uh, put some time and effort into making this happen. This is kind of a collaboration. So if you travel to uh, the North Carolina Museum of History in Durham, is that good? Well, in Durham, it is called the Durham History Museum. Durham History Museum. I'm collaborating with North Carolina Central University. Of course, we here at uh, Greensboro History Museum collaborating with North Carolina A&T State University. Full disclosure, I'm an act. I'm drinking. However, um, we're chronicling and commemorating all the events and the stories and just the game and the people that surround it. I want to talk about the history of it. This museum was founded in 1924. And uh, my research tells me that the first game in the series was in 1924, and it was a 13-13 tie. And uh, now the series, let me make sure I'm right, as of, I think it was September 21, 2021, 53-34-5. Uh, with A&T holding the 53. So Central's going to play some catch-up. We have to play some catch-up. But uh, I talked about our panelists here. We have some wonderful panelists here. I'm glad you traveled uh, from Durham. You traveled over from North Carolina A&T. But like I mentioned before, there's more than just uh, the three of us that made this happen. I hate to mention names like you alluded to earlier. Uh, you're going to leave someone out. But I do want to say that I want to thank Dr. Baker, whom I met yesterday. Turned out to be a frat fraternity brother of mine. Uh, Craig Thompson, also Professor Yvonne Haith, James Stewart over, over at the Library of North Carolina A&T, Edwin Moyer, Journalism and uh, Mass Communications, Simon Gooden, my intern, who's also in that same program, Glenn Perkins here at the museum, as well as Spencer Gwynn, uh, along with the late Mel Swan, uh, who called for over 40 years, 40 years worth of games. And so countless uh, A&T uh, versus Central games that these gentlemen called I was in communication with Spencer Gwynn, who's uh, retired now, 89 years old, but he gave me some old uh, CDs that would play out in our display. Um, and then also University Relations over at A&T and all of our wonderful interviewees uh, that we've spoken to. And speaking of the display, it's in our Community Voices display here at the Greensboro History Museum, right in the front lobby. Please come by and visit 130 Summit Avenue, and you'll be able to see for yourself the display between the history of the Aggie Eagle Classic. And with that being said, I also like to say thank you to our panelists here, uh, Dr. Charles Johnson from North Carolina Central University, as well as Dr. Armin Smallwood uh, over at North Carolina A&T. You're the chair of the Political Science and History Department at North Carolina A&T. I am. And how long have you been at that position? Uh, well, the chair originally of the Department of History, uh, you know, and then the part of A&T for all together eight years. Eight years. And Dr. Johnson? Uh, your position over at North Carolina Central? I'm an assistant professor of history and a director of the public history program. We need about 30 minutes to read both your bio. Uh, you were a summer intern over at the uh, State Department, correct? That's absolutely right. Off mic, or give me 30 seconds. How was that? Fantastic. Uh, one of the things that I took away from that was um, just how much the government, how much information the government actually has a, about 
the different nations that we have relationships. So I was uh, in Maseru in Lesotho. And what I learned is that, um, you know, my role there really was to help um, to gather information about different things that were important to the United States government uh, as it related to child labor practices okay. uh, when I was there. But it is it was very useful also as a historian because I spent maybe a year working in Record 59, which is a State Department records, um, when I returned. And just going through all of those records, you get a real sense. I mean, they would say, it's Robert, what's your last name? Dawson. Robert Dawson stopped by the office today, you know, and they'd have a description of you, what you looked like, you know, an assessment of just how sharp they thought you were and, you know, and anything that related to um, whatever interest they had at that time. Okay. Uh, where I was, we were dealing a lot, again, with child labor practices. Great experience. I'm still in touch with many of the people that, uh, that I work with. Good stuff. Good stuff. Now, I'm not going to read your entire bio, but it says you're tech savvy, full-time historian of the worldwide presence of African descended peoples. What does that mean? Well, my interest uh, has been looking at how we can heal the African diaspora, right? So uh, I did my PhD at Howard University under Dr. Joseph Harris, who's a preeminent scholar of mm. the African diaspora. And as a country board growing up in Durham, North Carolina, I don't think I had a real sense of some of the global presence of people of African descent. Uh, and I've looked at how can we build ties that will help us to rebuild our communities and, and to heal and to empower ourselves and empower communities and that kind of thing. So <clears throat> specifically, I looked at uh, the, the roles that African-Americans played in the anti-apartheid movement mm -hmm. and, um, you know, came to find that there were long-standing relations. One name, for example, is Orpheus McAdoo. Uh, and if you know anything about the McAdoo family, that's a Greensboro uh, name, you know, like Bob McAdoo. Mm -hmm. He is a relative of Orpheus McAdoo, but Orpheus McAdoo uh, took a group of uh, college singers to South Africa in the 1880s. And uh, they sang... Um, spirituals, Negro spirituals, and that kind of thing that had a tremendous impact on music in South Africa. Uh, but I mean, all of that was fascinating. Mm -hmm. Learning that and then trying to make the connections between communities, building bridges. Great, great. Do you see what you're doing now with this Aggie Eagle display? Do you see that as furthering that cause? Absolutely. You know, I think one of the uh, interesting aspects of this rivalry is the close relationship between the institutions. Um, and a lot of that is born out of the fact that the young people are coming out of the same high school. They know each other well. They come out of the same community. And it's true for the players. I mean, you know, uh, guys that played at Durham Hillside went to both North Carolina College and North Carolina Central and also the North Carolina A&T, you know. And that, uh, that closeness of it, you know, uh, that fuels the rivalry, obviously, right. you know. But it also means in a certain, to me, just looking at some of the other robberies, um, uh, looking at Grambling and Southerns and some of the others that are mm. in the SWAC that are, that are similar. You know, where I was differs, though, and people have mentioned this to me, is 
how well Eagles and Aggies get along, you know, up until game time, right. you know, but before and after the game, we get along just fine. Yeah, that fine. Uh, yeah, so. And, you know, that's another exploration, mm-hmm. looking at the Hillside and James B. Dudley. Mm-hmm. You know, a couple other schools, but those are the two that come to mind. And Dr. Smallwood, you know, you travel just up the road here. And you said you've been at North Carolina A&T for eight years, and you're the professor and chair of the Department of uh, History and Political Science uh, in Aggie Land. And uh, uh, did you also went to the Ohio State University? Oh, yeah. Well, yes. So uh, you know a little something about football in the Midwest as well. Are you, are you upset that they didn't make the Final Four? Oh, well, you know, anytime the team up north uh, beats you, you're not uh, not pleased about that and ready to knock you out. So that's, uh, yeah, that, that that's going to be. You refuse to call the name? You won't say the name? You just say the team. You wouldn't say Michigan. But I will say, since so you approached that question, that that is part of the, you know, interest. Uh, uh, Dr. Johnson and I, you know, in collaborating on this project, mm-hmm. uh, both having attended North Carolina, because I am an alum of North Carolina Central, understood and grew up with this rivalry in terms of the importance of it to both cities and both communities. And then going to a place like Columbus and getting involved with that, you know, that rivalry in terms Mm -hmm. of the interest between Ohio State and the team up north, um, you know, really kind of, uh, you know, bear these similarities and yet these differences. And it's one of the things that really kind of helped to fuel me and my interest in promoting and talking about and documenting and working with Dr. Johnson to document this uh, noted and famed rapper. Okay. Well, let's get into some questions. Sure. And, and, and as I'm asking, you can shoot back and forth, you know, in a gentleman, you will, okay. if, when you wish to. Um, but like I mentioned before, it's nearly 100 years old. Uh, 2024 will reach 100 years. Well, actually, we, uh, we're, you know, we found, we discovered a game over the summer doing research that we played uh, in 1922. Okay. Up here at Greensboro. So um, we were, North Carolina Central uh, has gone through a number of name changes over the years. And uh, the name changed from the National Religious Training School of Chautauqua to the National Training School in 1915. Uh, and it remained that through up to 1923. But in 1922, the National Training School came mm-hmm. up here, played anti, and the Aggies won that 26-0. 26-0? 26-0. And uh, y'all help me out all the time, but the first name you mentioned, I remember reading, and I saw that first name, Chautauqua. Is that Andy. Why that name? Well, with James, so the founder of uh, North Carolina Central was James Edward Shepherd. We was established in 1910. And Dr. Shepherd was one of the, one of the major challenges that we have as a people. And this is a period to contextualize this, uh, Rayford Logan, eminent, uh, historian of African-American experience said this was the nadir of this period we're talking about for black people, 1865 to about 1912. So central North Carolina, what's North Carolina central today was, was about 1910. We had very real problems of literacy and also with uh, our religious leaders. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, the Chautauqua movement was one where you were having uh, religious meetings and gatherings outdoors and so forth. Uh, and North Carolina College ends up, it, it emerges out of that. So, but uh, there are many schools, as you well know, that kind of started from uh, with the religious background at all. Similar. Yeah, same here at yeah. Bennett, Bennett College for Women. Uh, so with that being said, we know A&T started in 1891. Mm. And so with A&T getting a, what, 30-year jump, nearly a 30-year jump right, on right. Central, um, did that contribute 
we, we talked about pulling from the same players. Right, right. Mm -hmm. What about the foundation? Uh, what else contributed to the specialness of the robbery, Dr. Smoker? Well, I, I actually think that um, that what really intensified the rivalry, you know, we had that first game. I think Central and a t both prided themselves on being significant institutions in the state cops and a t being older and basically the big brother, you know, to, to North Carolina Central. But uh, the year after that first game in 1922, they did not play. And A&T was crowned, you know, uh, the best team in North Carolina. Now, I'm sure that helped in some way to fuel this rivalry because I'm sure at North Carolina Central, you know, how can you be the best team in, in North Carolina? And they did not play that year. You know, how can you be crowned the best team? And so then the following year, of course, we, we started, it, it picks up again and we see them playing again. And then uh, your rivalries are always about coaches. And you brought up at the start about a pilot state from your fan about Willie Hayes and, you know, and both, you know, the different uh, coaches. Coaches can really. You want to use any coaches? Coaches feel these rivalries. You know, mm -hmm. coaches can feel these rivalries. And I think that, um, you know, that that's kind of more of it than, you know, the, you know, the, the old history of A&T. Although I do believe that when Central was founded, it was founded as a private institution right. and, and it's founded by, you know, again, we know that Durham had more black millionaires uh, than anywhere else in the country um, after Tulsa and the Tulsa race riot. I mean, uh, Durham stood out. So mm -hmm. we talk about North Carolina mutual life and the, the, the black middle and upper class in Durham and that school, Central being basically a private elite school, it kind of gets into your Duke, Carolina, into your Auburn, Alabama type rivalries, right? That you got this kind of private elite group and then you got a state school, which is, you know, really servicing kind of a farming community. So you have that classic clash between agricultural and technical and then, uh, you know, the, up, the, lib, the liberal arts, you know, um, philosophy and history and, and law. And so that's what I would say, kind of how we see things going. And, and, and that kind of feeds into the rivalry to me. It does. Thank you. Wait. I just wanted to, I wanted to comment on that because I, I absolutely agree with Smallwood. I think having, understanding the context is really important. So these schools are, are like the other HBCUs are fighting for an identity, mm -hmm. you know, and feeling it's not like today. People have to remember how important these games were because it was like the main attraction when football teams played and then with antique and was it a lot of college play, that was that was a huge deal, even even back then, because it was one of the main forms of, of entertainment. Was it a recruiting tool? It was, or it was a really uh, important recruiting tool um, for both institutions in, in terms of, um, you know, uh, you, you, you're clearly speaking beyond the gridiron. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, if you look at uh, here recently, North Carolina Central. Uh, went on a went on a, a, a run where we won three in a, a row. In fact, against A and T, uh, 2014, 15, 16, and uh, won the MEAC in those years. And the enrollment, you know, went through the went through the roof. And, uh, North Carolina Antique here has been, you know, um, one of the most dominant uh, HBCUs in football this last decade. Mm -hmm. And you look at where Antique how it's doing, and and you don't want to put it all just on football. But it does matter, and, and I think A&T has been very intentional about using that. Yeah, my, and my son took the tour of A&T uh, uh, about a month ago. He's interested in being an engineer, mm -hmm. and he's got like one application. He's I'm trying to get him to fill out more than one application. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's said, "Okay, hey, how about that?" <laughs> but um, 
you know, but the, the tour uh, guide was outstanding, was outstanding the tour. And, and she included that, though. She talked about the football team and, you know, what it means at A&T and the esprit de corps that, 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 comes, that comes out of that. But before you go on, I, yeah. I just want to mention, you know, A&T's first coach was really outstanding. His name was Lonnie Byarm. And Byarm studied with some of the uh, great uh, coaches from the historically white institutions of that period. So he studied with Newt Rockney at, 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 uh, Notre at Notre Dame, who was an end to emphasize the forward pass. He, uh, he uh, studied with uh, Robert Zupke, who was at Illinois, the guy who established the huddle. He studied with uh, Pop Warner, mm. you know, who uh, came up with the three-point stance. I mean, so he was really an outstanding coach, and he was uh, at Ante during that 1920s period. And I think that's why they had so much success. The 1927 Aggie team was, to me, during that period, one of the best, you know, that came out of this, uh, out of the state. Uh, they won the CIAA that, that year and had one loss to the eventual national title winning uh, Bluefield State team. They lost down in, in Winston-Salem. Uh, but NT turned around and hired their coach in nineteen big Jeff Jefferson, you know. So yeah. Well, I'm glad you mentioned Coach Bayon because in the display, uh, the community voices display here at the Greensboro History Museum, we do have a picture of Coach Bayon mm -hmm. from nineteen nineteen. So we represent the coaches from nineteen nineteen to the present. Mm -hmm. uh, yes. so that's noted. And I wanna ask you, and then I'll come back. Um, how do I know growing up, you know, I don't want to date myself, but I remember the Ben Bay. Mm -hmm. And then I remember the Budweiser's Superfest, mm -hmm. and I would compare the two. Mm -hmm. All right, this one's better than that one. Therefore, A and T is better than the second. And and in essence, it wasn't. It's just you know. So I already had an allegiance mm -hmm. uh, to A and T because of proximity. I would say, but I got a feel for the school. Like A and T is my school, and then if I went to Durham for anything, I felt I was in Central Territory. I could be going to Durham and go to the store, mm -hmm. and I felt I was in Central Territory. Uh, but that's the allegiance and the connection I had to the school. So in your eyes, as a faculty member, uh, as a resident here coming from another part of the state, how do you feel the A&T community views Central? Well, and I'm glad you said that coming from another part of the state and then building on what uh, Dr. Johnson just said. Um, you know, one of the ways I found out how really generational the rivalry was through my father-in-law who was a professor at North Carolina Central, and I dated his daughter while I was there, and we married. And he would sit around the table and talk about how they played the Turkey Classic in kid, and how he lived up in, um, in Thomasville, and that when the game was played, you could tell when it was in Greensboro because downtown Thomasville, the black district in Thomasville was empty because everybody was in Greensboro. Mm. And then you knew when it was in Durham because they would be in town. The point is that you got to understand it's a statewide rivalry. It's not a Durham or a, um, you know, just a Durham Greensboro rivalry. It's a statewide rivalry. And even down home where I'm from in Eastern North Carolina, remember that's where your majority of black farmers are right. in Eastern North Carolina and in Northeastern North Carolina. And so you got generations of Aggies, right. who, four or five generations who farm those lands in Bertie, Northampton, Gates, mm -hmm. you know, Perfect County, Halifax. And they've sent their kids here to be educated and they come back and run the farm. So it was a statewide rivalry. And then the others, you know, people who ended up in the professional law and medicine, um, and some of whom were the children of farmers still went to North Carolina Central. Mm -hmm. And so the rivalry, you know, is statewide, statewide. 
Right. So coming here uh, and as a student who attended North Carolina Central and my brother is a uh, graduated from North Carolina A&T, I mean, we're family until the day we came. <laughs> and then, you know, like I said, again, we're, we're picking sides. Um, yeah, it, it, you know, it's, I would say that the thing as a central person that I, it, it was at least, in, it, it's across the board, both here and there. Um, when you talk to students and talk to students in our program of political science, who think about going to law school, they're like, oh, I've got to go to Central. You know, I mean, you know, there are places they can go and they'll think about going to Central law school, but they're, the rivalry is still, they okay. still have a tinge of it. And what we always say is, no, we're, we're sister institutions. It's a great school to go to graduate school or go to law school. But, you know, it's so ingrained in the students, you know, about the rivalry that still, you know, there's that, mm. you know, do I really have to go, you know, kind of thing, you know, that they don't want to do. So I would say that, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely a, it's a robbery that it goes beyond just the campuses and just beyond on um, the states. I do believe that A&T has the big brother mm-hmm. kind of syndrome, but they sometimes see, you know, the central as being the younger institution and they're the older institution. Um, but again, some of that, you know, is, 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 is deflected by the nature of the campus and the history, like I said, again, of the, the you know, I, I, I still feel central has a very private feel to it. You know, you can still, you can see it in the architecture of campus. You can see it in the layout of the campus. And if you talk to old timers, you still have that feel of like a private institution, even though it's a state supported institution. And I think that still also fuels, you know, some of that competition between the two campuses. We were the first, you know, the uh, state supported HBCU liberal arts institution. Okay. And by way of introduction, I was born and raised here. So I can really speak to what, what Dr. Small was saying. I, w- I would add, I think he covered that really well. Mm. You know, Aggies and Eagles, so for people who might not know, we compete in everything, right? So it's not just, not just football. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's, it's everything. And, um, you know, we, uh, we interviewed a number of alumni, uh, also football players and, and folks who tend to interviewed a couple, uh, uh, Quan Williams, who was an Eagle, and his wife, Faye Tate Williams, who was on the Board of Trustees at one time, you know, to talk about what their household looked like, Eagles and Aggies. Right. They wanted to make sure, you know, that I emphasized the fact that the robbery doesn't just happen in football, and it goes forth all the time, you know. But it's a, it's a healthy thing, because I think we carry that over in life, right? And we we keep that competitive spirit and so forth. And, you know, um, I'd like to think that um, we we pick on each other, but mm. I don't know that we would allow anybody else to exactly. They did exactly, and uh, and, and that um, if you watch the video, more than just the game, mm. um, some of the players mentioned that very thing. I think it was Dexter Feaster, mm. uh, who came from the eastern part of the state, mm. and how that game meant something to him because it was the only game his family could make it to when they played in Central. Okay. Because it was closer mm-hmm. for his family to make it. And he said, so it wasn't a robbery mm-hmm. for him. It was the ability that his mother and his family would see him playing like my boy made it to college. And he saw the smile on his mom's face. So those are the, the stories you get you know, when you, you talk to people. So, you know, it ties into what you talked about. Uh, and uh, I was going to ask you, but you kind of answered it about how, unless you think you didn't, 
Central Views A and T, North Carolina Central Views A. I, I think it's I think it's similar to how uh, Doctor Smallwood said. I mean, you go down the individuals, it, it can be, but I, I think uh, generally we see each other as brother and sister. Constitution. Coach Broadway, did he coach at Central? He did. Okay, so we I know Coach Broadway. We have Coach Hayes, and I'm probably a couple more in there. So, so we have Washington. Washington. Uh, okay, your third coach, yeah, he's some coordinator at Central Southern Nine. Okay. Uh, so we have a lot of that going on, but you know, you, you talked about how the coaches kind of really uh, shaped this thing. And uh, and I had some names here, you know, Coach Riddick, Broadway, Coach Hayes, who resonates with me. He was the, when I was coming up, he was the name, Coach Piggy, and uh, and several others. Uh, talk to us, and you, either one you can jump in, about some of the coaches that left an imprint uh, that you know And So I would say uh, one of the early coaches, one of the earliest coaches, uh, the, the, the earliest one in coaching the rivalry, uh, was Wilson Sean Eagleson. And, uh, he, uh, he was a, a good Kappa brother of ours. Oh, okay. And, uh, he, um, had attended Indiana university, uh, and, uh, he coached the Eagles from 1922 to 1926. Um, and then he came over, he was the first coach to switch sidelines. So he coached at North Carolina a and in 19, in 1930. Um, really outstanding coaches in this rivalry. Um, uh, Harry Jefferson, Big Jeff Jefferson, uh, you know, he had won two national titles when Antique got him to come here in 1930. Okay. Uh, he had won at Bluefield, uh, but he couldn't beat the Eagles. Where's Bluefield? Is that West Virginia? Yeah. Okay. He pretty feel he could eat Bluefield, man. So he didn't last very long. He went on up to Virginia State. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but there have been some some great ones. Uh we we covered our exhibit down in Durham, uh, on the AT side. Uh Bill Bell, who played at Ohio State, was an outstanding uh tackle for Ohio State University. And doing a lot, you know, uh, Dr. Bill Bell, uh, uh, very uh, outstanding uh, coach and just leader, period. Uh, Burke Pickett um, mm-hmm. is another one. Burke Pickett had and actually played for Bill Bell when Bill Bell coached the Army Airfield team at Tuskegee the okay. Wars, uh, in the 40s. Uh, and then Hornsby Howell, all of these guys, and we covered them because they were title winners. You know, uh, CIAA championships. I, I could, I could talk about that, man. Right. Uh, and I don't know what, what we're on on time, but I'll just say, and, and, uh, I got to share this because <laughs> in, in 58, um, the, the Eagles did had, uh, you know, these are the, the best of the best high school players. So mm-hmm. remember when we're talking about that before, especially before 1960, truthfully before 1970, the best of the best players. Uh, were at North Carolina A&T and North Carolina Central. They were young men from North Carolina, right? Lenny right. Smith and Atkins and Gillside and Dudley and the other black high schools were feeding schools and they were the best players. Well, when they met uh, in 1958, uh, that was a it was a huge game. Both of those teams were either one-loss teams or undefeated teams, maybe even undefeated. And uh, even number of years were played down in Durham, right? So Burke Pickett brought the Aggies to Durham, uh, and AD wanted to move that game because it was going to be a huge curve. This was going to determine the CIAA mm-hmm. title, you know. Uh, so he wanted to move. Okay, and it was cute. And it was. And then like 10,000, you know? Yeah, probably that or an excess, which at that time, you know, was a really large, right, and a huge crowd. Mm-hmm. Well, 
North Carolina Central had lost their home since 1953. Right. So the students lost it. Right. So you get the administration thinking about the dollars. You got the students trying to win the game and it didn't matter. They hadn't did home and A&T came and got it and snuck away with one um, down in North Carolina Central and, and won the CIAA from that, from that thing, man. You know, but um, uh, really great coaches. Bert, right. Bert Piggott was, you know, outstanding. Hornsby Howard, you mentioned uh, uh, Bill Hayes. Uh, Bill Hayes won more games in the rivalry than any than any coach. You know, he uh, he beat his alma mater. Uh, uh, I want to curse when I say that. I'm, I'm gonna keep it clean. Twelve times. You know, <laughs> I mean, he he was, but he was a heck of a coach. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was outstanding when he was at what's the Salem State. Right. He was the first black coach in the ACC, and he was an outstanding football player. Also, you know, I didn't know that. They break it Broadway real quick. Mm-hmm. One at North Carolina, one national title at North Carolina Central, at Grambling, and at and at A&T. and uh, all of them. You know, I had a chance to talk to to each of them. Uh, they have very fond memories of both institutions, and they, you know, they had a lot to say about that rivalry. Nothing quite like that. Uh, Doctor Smallwood, what does it mean to be a head coach career wise? I'm jumping ahead. What does it mean to be a head coach for North Carolina Central or for North Carolina a and Is it a career-ending position or, you know, you can stop it? Well, that's a difficult question. I mean, I think, uh, you know, I mean, you know, it's best asked of the coaches, you know, mm-hmm. in terms of how they, you know, uh, feel about it. I think Dr. Johnson's already gave a great example of how um, certainly, you know, the success of the coaches mm-hmm. in either school can, you know, put them on a trajectory, you know, between the schools. But I, and I think that what I was listening as he, you know, explained, you know, how this, this cross pollination, and I can't remember who coined the term, whether it was he and I talking or, or someone else, but iron sharpening iron, mm-hmm. the fact that we had that degree of competition and respect, mutual respect for each other. So, um, you know, you can, you know, it, he just outlined an example of where Coach lost his job from not being able to be right. North Carolina Central. So I do believe it it matters. But you also, we've seen situations where, you know, can have a very successful coach and continues, you know, to win. So it's, you know, it's it's one of those things you have to talk with the coaches about. Mm-hmm. And they can give you an insight that I think that we, as scholars, looking at it from the outside, you know, we can speculate on, but they can give you insight in terms of the pressure that they're under. You know, when they're, you know, in that rivalry and depending on, you know, where they are mm-hmm. during their wins versus losses. And, uh, and I'm glad you said that. And um, I want to talk about, um, just briefly talk about the environments, where you play, what it sounded like, what it looked like. Of course, now they play at, uh, was it, uh, uh, BB&T Stadium uh, at North Carolina A&T and at Central. It's okay, Riggs. Okay. Um, back in the day, they used to play at the Memorial Stadium, it used to be the baseball stadium right. here. And I saw video Durham Athletic Park. Okay. The Durham Athletic Park. And when I saw the old clips, I saw hundreds of people. You know, you had the field, but immediately adjacent to the field is the parking lot. If you could call it that, but it was a dirt parking lot. At least it appeared that way because I saw a bunch of dirt being kicked up. Mm. And uh, so I was talking to one of my colleagues here at the museum who grew up in Greensboro in the 60s. And uh, he's when I worked for you. He said, I said, man, they used to play at um, one of the He's like, yeah. He said it used to be packed too. And so he talked about how the community come out, the guys would come out to see the young ladies, the young ladies would come out, the fraternities would come out to showcase and the sororities. Um, but he said, you know, one thing he said, uh, but you better be prepared to get dirt. 
Mm. <laughs> Constantly be walking around, kicking up all this mm-hmm. uh, dirty stuff on your clothes. So I said, you know, if, how does that set the atmosphere? Does that show the determination to go to the game? I'm still going to get dressed, even though I know I'm going to get dirty. Okay. Uh, but that's just part of the experience. Well, Charles, I mean, you told me that story about uh, about the game. Somebody, I don't know if it was you, Dr. Johnson, but someone was telling me a story about the game. Because, um, you know, we interacted and talked to so many different people. Right, right. Absolutely. But that there was there was one of the more recent games, um, and I can't remember the exact game, but at the end of the day, A&T was visiting North Carolina Central to play. And I believe it was during the era of Air Harvey. Mm-hmm. And um, and when they came over to play the game, I'm getting back to your yeah, yeah, let's see what's when they came over to play the game, it was cold, it was wet, uh, A&T practice, and they get muddy and getting cold. Central didn't come out of the locker room. And the coach said, at that time, we've got this game. We're going to win this. And was that you, Charles? No, it, it wasn't. <laughs> it was like, so we got this, we got this game. Mm-hmm. And I wish I could remember who told the story in, in the exact circumstances, but it was during an era of era park. Okay. And, um, and certainly, yeah, they, they defeated uh, North Carolina. So my point is when you get to be a dusty and getting dirty, I mean, yeah, the games get, they're going to get dirty. They, you know, they're going to get down into the game. And if you, you show a, you know, the lack of a desire to do that well, in that particular situation, okay. which was more recent, more modern game, game, uh, you know, that indicated, you know, to the coach and to mm-hmm. the team and he used it to coach, talk about coaching again and report yeah. coaching. The coach used it as an example uh, to his team of how they had already won the game. They had all, because they, what they had sacrificed and what they were suffering out in that cold, the cold temperatures and in the dam and getting muddy to get ready for the game, that mentally they had mm-hmm. the, you know, toughness and the fortitude to beat Central. And Central was really well that year. I wish I, I had the exact scores, uh, you know, you know, but Central, it was one of the years that Central was really doing and you know, and for our fans, when our teams are good, mm-hmm. in particular, right? I mean, there's no weather or anything that's gonna keep them that's away from their games. I mean, you know, as Doctor Smallwood was saying uh, earlier, people came from all over the state. You know, mm-hmm. just small towns would be empty, man, because people were trying to get here to see the game. You know, it was again for much of the 20th century that was the biggest event for African Americans in the state. All right. Okay. It was homecoming all over again for both schools. All right. I'm gonna take my watch off so I can look at it. Keep track of time. And you, you, you all like to talk like I do. <laughs> There's no. I don't lose track of time, so I want to make sure. I'm clear. But I did want to add to, just on that comment again. Getting back to my father-in-law. My father-in-law played football in high school. Um, and and he said, yeah, you know, his coach would tell him that if he, you know, if he if he if he really worked hard, he would help him get into North Carolina such. And that's what he wanted to go. He wanted to play football for North Carolina Central. And he was committed. So my point is, during the recruiting, we talked earlier about, mm-hmm. you know, recruiting players and, and what did this game do, you know, for recruiting players. And we already talked about Dudley and the fact that roughly half the student body would go to Central, half would go to a and right. Same thing with Hillside. I mean, you know, you, this was just kind of a pattern you'd follow around the state. And when it comes to black communities around the state, although there were other HBCUs, and like Winston-Salem State was very popular in Winston-Salem, I, I don't, I dare say that you had another uh, set of black colleges that were, you know, statewide in right. terms of people desiring to go to one of the other schools. And, you, and get back to reputations again, A&T really working with the farming communities and having agriculture extension offices all the right. extent and in pretty yeah. much every county 
you know, they have presence. And then when we get back to Central, when we talk about Shepard and the folks who founded North Carolina Mutual Life Insurance mm-hmm. and the fact that they had, they were the only insurance company that would insure black people and they were all over the state. You understand those people were connected to North Carolina Central. They founded North Carolina mm-hmm. Central. They were sending their kids to North Carolina Central. Right. And so you have two schools that have a, a, a solid statewide presence and they let you know, anybody who's associated with those schools let you know, I went to North Carolina Central, I went to North Carolina A&T. And so you had right. that, that, that really state rival. And, you know, just real quick, building off of that small word, when I took the tour of A&T, mm-hmm. beautiful campus, the School of Business is named Ed Mayer, right? Hall or whatever you call it. And his father was John Merrick. And John Merrick was a principal father of what came out of the you know, uh, there's those times again. But, and, you know, you talked about the fans' commitment to attend the game, sure. um, the building of the rivalry. And so we know the tickets weren't free at any point, mm-hmm. right? So they all paid. So what kind of financial impact? You know, I, I heard a uh, friend of mine talk about how only he was talking anecdotally. He didn't have data in front of him, but he was saying how he believed it. A&T only, they funded their athletic program off of two games, basically. It was uh, A&T and Winston-Salem State, and that was every other year mm-hmm. if they would trade. And then it was, uh, I'm sorry, three, homecoming, and then the Ag Eagle Classic. Mm-hmm. And um, so talk about, uh, Dr. Johnson, the financial impact of the Ag Eagle Classic or these schools, such as Central and A&T. Well, what I would say is that uh, there's so many ways that you can look at that. that I did not, Arwen and I didn't take off to try to drill down and, and come up with figures right, in right. that kind of way. But there's so many ways that the, the institutions pay off. You know, uh, we produce, you know, anti and, and engineer, you know, as uh, the, the number of black engineers that have come through, you know, anti and Department of History at North Carolina Central. You know, we're like no other uh, department in the state in terms of producing black scholars and so forth. So I guess what I'm kind of driving at is the payoff is in so many, so many different ways. But, but speaking, speaking to the classics, you know, those are, it's really important to, um, to our athletic programs mm-hmm. because um, we don't uh, have the resources that we'd like to have. You know, um, when I'm asked about uh, HBCU football compared to PWI, or historically white institutions, you know, that we're about to, to, to see going into, you know, the bowl season and all, the difference is the budget, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that's, the, that's the major difference. If we had Alabama's budget, we'd be glad to go out and play Alabama, right? right. You know, so that, that would make all the difference. So those games, just as you have mentioned, are really important in, in driving revenue and helping to cover the cost for our athletic departments uh, and so forth. But I want to make it clear, it goes beyond right. just that. There's some of the other ways it contributes to the state, you know, and those players go on do outstanding things. That's an excellent point. And you pointed that out. And, and bringing up the fact that you need resources to build a program, um, Alan Hooker, um, famous quarterback from a um, talked about that in the video more than okay. in just a game. He mentions how uh, he saw a picture of a game where Auntie had a helmet with the yeah. guard and Central was playing with like basically a leather right. hat. And he said, so Lenny, it makes a difference. He mm-hmm. said, in other words, he was trying to say, support your alma mater. Right. And because we want to see, we want to see Auntie thrive. 
Mm-hmm. That's better for Central. We want to see North Carolina Central play. Mm-hmm. That's better for A&T. Oh, absolutely. And um, so, yeah, use that to say if you're watching, support the school. Before we get out of here, uh, we got about eight more minutes. Sure. Um, and the last question, just to prepare it in your mind, what you think about the series. I'm not asking now, but just preparing your mind when it moves to Charlotte next year at Bank of America Stadium. So I'm kind of implanting that in, in your mind. But are there any particular, and I don't want to, I hate to ask this question because I don't want, I'm going to leave a player out. Okay? Any particular moments or players mm. that changed how you view the game? Mine would be uh, watching Alan Hooker play. You know, and his passion for the game. He teared up when he did the video because he talked about how he never stepped foot on campus until it became an egg and how it just changed his life. You know, when I see him, that's all I see, A&T. And he went on to play pro. He didn't say about his pro career. He talked about how A&T changed his life. But uh, so that was, he was the player that changed the perception for me, mm-hmm. uh, for A&T. Is there any player or moment that changed the series for you? How you view it? Yes, I can, I can speak so we we did the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think, in fact, of uh, the exhibit, the most compelling part are listening to the testimonials of the players mm-hmm. and the coaches. I mean, it is something uh, that who did it for me was a player who played at uh, E. E. Smith in the early '60s, from '60 to, to, to '63. Okay. My mother-in-law would be glad you made the first <laughs> Hey, look, man, outstanding drum majors, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. and football players, uh, Earl F. Harvey is D.E. E. Smith. Uh, Why do they have such Doug Wilkerson, D.E. E. Smith, I mean, Sabrina Philly. Really. How do they produce drum majors like that? Like they're intentional you. about it, oh, man. Okay. They're, they're, I think they're, I think they're intentional about it. You, you start kind of a tradition and, mm-hmm. you know, you keep, you, you keep pushing that. But Connie Borkin was that mm-hmm. player for me. Connie played running back and linebacker. Uh, at North Carolina College uh, in that 1960-63 period, and just like Alan Hooker, you know, um, he loved his teammate. Mm-hmm. That's what came out to me in talking about. He loved Curry and Rick and playing with they. They still talk right. like every day. Mm-hmm. He said, outside of my immediate family, you know, like closest closest friends, these these guys, those that's my family. And and just like uh, Alan Hooker, you know, he, he teared up when mm-hmm. he started talking about what they what they meant and the different lessons that he learned. And he could talk about, um, and we have to make sure that you all have that so Aggies can see this because he talks about playing the NT and you all's great players, man, and what mm-hmm. that looked like and the kind of the sense of pride that both because everybody knew we everybody, right. you know, when they stepped out on the field. Uh, they gave it everything they had, you know, in those games. And uh, I, and again, I'm going to just emphasize, especially for that period, those guys really wanted everyone to know they were the best of their best players. And they, and they really, really. But yeah, I, I, you get that sense of we started out talking about connections mm-hmm. and how important that is, right? You know, and you really get that. And all of the players know each other. You know, um, for us, you mentioned great players, Doug Wilkerson, when I asked, Mm-hmm. The Eagles, you know, who, and they don't really like to do this because there have been so many. Right. You know, right. But, and, um, um, but Doug Wilkerson is one in that 60s period in particular, but he was just a phenomenal player, just like you had Elvin Bethea. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those two actually uh, ended up at Houston in the NFL and drove, I understand, to Houston together. 
Mm. You know, so uh, now we know Ernie Barnes is the artist. Yeah, I was he as a football player? He was a very good football player, good enough to make it into the NFL. Okay. And um, you know, he uh, Durham Hillside mm. uh, grew up as uh, Durham I grew up in the bottoms, and uh, Ernie Barnes was uh, was a very good football player. Played in the fifties, I think fifty six, fifty nine. North Carolina, yeah. but we know him from Sugar Shack, right? That's not Hank and all that kind of thing, you know, and good times and all that. Yeah. Anybody for you, Doc Smallwood? Well, Any my, moment, anyone? Right. Well, but mine's going to be a little different, and and uh, and the moment stands out because um, when Doctor Johnson did their opening over at Durham at the museum, um, Eric Montgomery came. He was a supporter of, of putting their exhibit together, financial support, and he was my classmate. You right. started North Carolina Central together and you attended North Carolina Central. And the thing that struck me, he now owns a law firm in Charlotte, bringing Charlotte back into the mix. He owns a law firm in Charlotte. Um, that he was just always a genuine person. I mean, I wasn't really into athletics that way in college or in mm -hmm. high school. I didn't, couldn't play sports, you know, and had bad vision and couldn't play sports. Uh, but he was just always Eric McCumber. He was just always who he was. Right. He was just, he was just always himself and just a good guy. And, uh, and it's to me, he represents the athletic program there well in terms of him being not just a great athlete, but being a great scholar who then goes on to go to law school and get his law degree right. and his family's own law practice. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, it speaks to the caliber of these athletes. And I think when you look at the films and you talk about the different uh, players, that, that is their story, that mm -hmm. this was their opportunity to go to college, their opportunity to succeed. And they took advantage of it. It means the world to them. Uh, and and the other thing is is really an aside. It's the actual stadium. Mm -hmm. When I came from North Carolina, from Eastern North Carolina to Central, you know the stadium is in the heart of the campus. So we walked down from Chidley Hall to the stadium mm -hmm. on Saturdays for the home games. So it showed that that was the heart of the community. Right, that was the heart of it. And and I always compare it with Ohio State, bringing back in the Ohio State experience. When I went to Ohio State. The camp, the, the, the football stadium was like in the heart of the community and the sports program and the football program was just a, a major part of, of that campus. And I felt at home. I felt a kinship to what I had experienced uh, my four or five, six years, because I got my master's at Central as well. Mm. But my time at North Carolina Central, I, I saw that same connection, that same camaraderie. And then going back to the Ohio State connection again, um, Helen Edmonds, who had finished Ohio State, you know, in the 30s and sent a lot of her students to Ohio State. Uh, early Thorpe and others, I mean, you know, there was not a bigger fan of North Carolina Central than Helen Edmonds. And she would point out to everyone all the time, the Eagle is not any ordinary barnyard bot. You know, that, you know they, that we are exceptional you know, and you are to be exceptional. And from the third, you know, from the time she got to Central onward, um, the Helen Edmonds building now named for her where Dr. Johnson goes to work every day. Uh, she sent numerous uh, scholars out, started that tradition of producing so many great African-American um, scholars in history and people who went on to law school. I believe uh, one of her students was uh, the former chancellor, Julius Chambers. Julius Chambers. Right. Absolutely. Back to Charlotte. Yes, back to Charlotte. Yeah, right. right. yeah, taking us right back there. Yeah. I, I heard his name a lot. I, w I went to a, uh, a fellow ad, Justice Henry Friday. They did a uh, uh, cinematography project and they unveiled it this past Saturday. Mm -hmm. And, uh, his name up came up quite a, quite a bit on um, Julius Chambers as well as some others, some fellow captains too. Oh, um, so my last question, and we'll get out of here on this, is what are your 
you know, you don't have to do a deep dive, but your initial thoughts, what's your reaction to the Aggie Eagle Classic now being moved to Charlotte in 2000? I'm not sure how long the contract is, but it begins in 2022. So it's no longer a home and home. You know, it's not always been. We been played at Carter-Finley Stadium after 1990. Uh, Dr. Johnson, I'll start with you. What is your reaction about the? What do you think? The tournament's going to be Well, I understand that, you know, uh, again, this it's now even bigger than just statewide, right? Mm-hmm. Because people travel to come to these games and our alumni all over the country, all over the world, truthfully. You know, so they travel to come here. So we understand that. But for me, uh, so I understand it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for me, I think it's something when you play at home and you play. I get it's a revenue day when right. I'm playing in those stadiums. Uh, but for the kids, it is like Dr. Smallwood was just saying, it's right in the heart of the right. campus in North Carolina Central. And all of the kids come and the locals and everything. It's, uh, it, it makes it really special when it's that way. But I understand it, right. and it will be great, and it'll be a lot of fun and, and all of that kind of thing with Charlotte. And, but it, it's, it's, you know, it's different when it's, uh, when it's especially, because that's a really large stadium. Yeah. You know, yeah. so it's a really... It's kind of spread out mm-hmm. as compared to when we kind of all on top of each other, right? And all that. And I'm thinking, how's it when it, when we look at it on TV? How's it going to look? And then you you can't show off your outfit, right? <laughs> I mean, the cameras can't find a spot to step right. somewhere where everybody can see. I'm sure they'll find a place. Right. But uh, it's just I understand the intimacy, right? And yeah, exactly. But uh, and what about you, uh, Dr. Smiley? Well, again, you know, be along the same lines that you know, so I understood. But as Dr. Johnson has just pointed out. You know, we, you know, Atlanta, we talk about places where A&T and Central have huge alumni bases, uh, Atlanta being one of them, obviously, and gives people more access coming up from, and then with the airports to get people to change the flying and we have people, you know, in DC and all over, um, not to belabor this and draw it out. Um, one of the things I learned at Central was how our alumni network, and it gets back to the history and the history of this game, the history of these schools. That you have to remember because of Jim Crow and segregation, just bringing everything back to a point, um, you know, we produced so many outstanding people, but they couldn't stay in the state mm-hmm. and get quality jobs in the state. Mm-hmm. So historically, you know, we've always had to send our people off to the Midwest and to the Northeast to get jobs in other cities and they prospered and they've done well. Right. And so that's still the pattern. They send their children back to A&T and they send their children mm-hmm. back to Central. And if we lifted the, uh, the, the caps. We would even have more students from out of state because so many of our alums were forced to go out of state right. to get jobs. Uh, so, so coming away from your point, I agree with Dr. Johnson that it takes away from the intimacy. It takes away from, you know, both groups being on each other's campuses and then that, that home field advantage. And it really kind of splits it. It evens the playing field, I would think, in a sense, in the sense that when people are there uh, in Charlotte, it's going to be, you know, probably, a, you know, a, a, a greater equal of equalizer in terms of mm-hmm. trial and and uh, when we go to those games but it, we understand we both do the economics uh, yeah. and what's in at the play and it'll be great just like it's right I mean, it'll be a lot of willing there yeah yeah, yeah, yeah 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 so uh, we reached the end of our time and uh but i'd like to uh give you an opportunity to take 60 seconds and, and say some final things if you have anything to say uh about how you the future of the the classic and the and the two schools, not just football but the programs. Well I think we're both uh doing really well. Both institutions are doing mm-hmm. really well. You know, uh when Dr. Smallwood approached me about doing this, this was his idea. Uh this it was a no brainer to do it. You know, we wanted to honor both institutions. We wanted mm-hmm. to honor the players and the coaches and the alumni and so forth from both institutions and 
uh, it really is so much more than just a game, right? right? You know, and um, I'm really appreciative of this opportunity to come up here and to share uh, what I know and to invite the Aggies down to Durham to the uh, Museum of Durham History. Uh, you all are represented there well, you know, um, in that exhibit. So thank you so much for having Absolutely. And I'm, I'm going to make a trip down in the next week, two weeks, two weekends. Give me a call and, you know, I'll come over with you and, you know, and absolutely. I'll do it here. Yeah, absolutely. Dr. Smallwood. Well, again, it's the same. It's, it's been an honor and a privilege to, you know, just be aff affiliated with Dr. Johnson. I mean, we had a chance to meet each other early in my career here at A&T, and uh, he's just an outstanding person. The opportunity to interact and work on, on projects such as this have just been you know, it just, that's, this has been the high point in my career. And when we talk about, you know, the, um, the game and, and, and the meaning of the game, um, you're not going to find anybody more passionate about, uh, you know, Central and a and I tell people the story all the time, who wasn't the North Carolina Central. When I applied for college, A&T turned me down, mm -hmm. along with everybody else in the state. <laughs> Only North Carolina Central accepted me opportunity to do whatever, you know, whatever I have done to mm -hmm. that foundation. But I have treated A&T and the Aggies have treated me like family. Right. And I have done for A&T what I would do, you know, for my alma mater or for any other, you know, school. So I have given A&T it all. Give it, give it all yeah. to And you've done a fine job. Thank you. Yeah. Coming from an Aggie. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, well, you know, we appreciate the opportunity as well. We've always loved, you know, my director, uh, kind of charged us with reaching out to the community, doing more outreach and, and getting stories that may be underrepresented or, or marginalized or whatever the case may be. And so it's an opportunity for us to do this. And uh, Glenn Perkins, he handles our community uh, uh, voices display. And so it was just a natural fit. And uh, like I said, we want to build on this and, and so many th different conversations we can have that need to just kind of put all of it in one big box and just let, as a resource for everybody to use in classrooms or just to learn about the robbery. So I appreciate you offering your content, your expertise, and uh, your knowledge of history that you bring to this. And I invite people to come to the Greensboro History Museum, 130 Summit Avenue in Greensboro. Uh, we're 10 to 5, Tuesday through Saturday. Sunday, we're 2 to 5, closed on Mondays. But come check out the display and uh, just learn about this robbery and learn about these two institutions. And so it's just been an honor learning about all these players from Willie Mohammed, uh, Willie Pearson, and uh, Ace Mohammed has the, the just all the different players, Dexter Feaster, all the players coming from Central, the coaches, just a wonderful program. And uh, so thank you for contributing to this. And if I didn't do that, so I, I want to thank you too. Thank you for this opportunity and for us being here and the work that you put into helping to get the exhibit here in Reedsboro set up. I want to thank you and the folks that you mentioned, you know, Ms. Right. Haith and, and James Stewart for the work that they've done. So I did want to make sure I said that too. And it's been a great opportunity for us to, to sit and talk in this and hopefully people will come up and see the display and, and seeing the images there. Definitely a team actor, right? Absolutely. 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 And, uh, and we, and uh, Smithson Gwynn, who's 89, who, like I say, called the games. He was just delighted that we were doing this. Mm. So, but thank you. This has been our, our, our program here at the Greensboro History Museum, the Aggie Eagle Classic, the history of the Aggie Eagle Classic. And as you've heard from our discussion, it's more than just a game. You've been listening to History Notes, a product of the Education Department of the Greensboro History Museum. Just as you visited for this podcast, continue to go to www.greensborohistory.org and select the Discover and Learn tab to listen again or learn more about many other subjects. We also invite you to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. And please stop by the museum when you can. 
We're located at 130 Summit Avenue, Greensboro. Hours vary, so visit our website or call 336-373-2043 for details. Once again, thank you and keep tuning in to History Notes.